Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. So big news I want to share with you today. France says it's going to ban the widespread practices of live shredding of male baby chicks. So you might know this stuff, but let me give you a quick overview of the egg producing industry because people don't talk about this. Also, most people don't know this or don't want to know this because just like factory farms in the production of meat, people don't want to think about it. They don't want to know how this stuff that they consume is produced. So the eggs you eat come from hens, right? You know that. So fertile eggs hatch approximately 50% of the time will be a male chick and about 50% of the time a female chick. And since male chickens do not lay eggs and generally are not built for meat production, the egg laying industry is no need for these little male chicks. The egg production industry consider these little guys an unwanted byproduct. So what happens to them? Well, they're disposed of shortly after birth by electrocution, gassing, or grinding them up alive. So every year around the world, several billion male chicks are unwanted because they can't make an egg for you to eat and there will not be a meat source for you either. So instead, they're ground up alive. And let me just be clear. This is the fate of almost all male chicks in these egg farm systems, whether you choose to buy organic eggs or free range eggs or caged eggs. So just because the label says free range or caged free or whatever deceptive labeling is put out there, male chicks are being shredded. And this has been going on for a very long time. But like I said, people don't want to talk about it. And really, if you haven't seen a video of this happening, it, it's horrifying. You see this little fluffy baby chicks rolling down a conveyor belt for several seconds before they're fed into a large industrial shredder. I mean, that's what it is. It's a shredder. So an egg hatches, males thrown into a grinder alive, sick and weak female chicks are also tossed, and healthy females will be kept. And the life in an egg-laying factory farm is not so fun either. These females are living in tight spaces under constant stress to keep producing, and then when their bodies are all worn out and they're deemed no longer useful, at which point they'll be slaughtered. Now, let's go to Europe for a minute. In 2016, because of growing tension brought on by animal welfare activists to find a less cruel alternative to culling male chicks, research teams in Germany and the Netherlands have achieved technologies that can identify the gender of a chick before it hatches, while it's still in the embryo when he or she is still in shell. And this is done by making a tiny hole in the egg or inserting a needle to sample the chick's DNA. And this seems really great because instead of having the baby male chick born and then torturing the baby chick by grinding him to death the first day of his life, this method can determine which eggs are male before they're born. And I will tell you that here in the United States, United Egg Producers which represent 95% of U.S. egg farmers, they announced plans, this was back in 2016, to stop grinding male chicks alive by 2020. And this is an article I found in National Geographic in June 2016 titled, By 2020, Male Chicks May Avoid Death by Grinder. And there's a couple quotes here I want to read to you. David 
Komen Heidi, executive director of the Humane League, which is a farm animal welfare nonprofit group, said, once we've determined which eggs are male, they can actually be used in the egg supply chain for things like vaccines or for pet food. That means we will see a large reduction in demand on the current lane flocks. And that means that in addition to hundreds of millions of animals in the U.S. not being killed on the first day of their lives, we should also see a reduction in the number of animals needed on factory farms to begin with. We see it as a really positive step on those grounds alone. And here's a quote from this trade group, the United Egg Producers. United Egg Producers and our egg farmer members support the elimination of day-old male chick culling after hatch for the lane industry. We are aware that there are a number of international research initiatives underway in this area, and we encourage the development of an alternative with the goal of eliminating the culling of day-old male chicks by 2020 or as soon as it is commercially available and economically feasible. The U.S. egg industry is committed to continuing our proud history of advancing excellent welfare practices throughout the supply chain, and a breakthrough in this area will be a welcome development. So, in Shell... DNA technology to identify male embryos. That's really great. So we'll see what happens, right? I mean, hundreds of millions of eggs are consumed each year. Hatcheries are not going to take the time to test each and every single egg. It's not viable economically on an industrial scale, but hopefully a feasible method will be created and soon. So as far as I can tell, in the United States, United Egg Producers is still planning to go coal-free in 2020. And I haven't read anything recent about this, but we'll see what happens. It's still early in the year. I want to tell you that I, I did, however, find an article dated December of 2018, where scientists in Germany have figured out a way to determine the sex of a chick before it ever hatches. By using a tiny laser beam... A 0.3 millimeter hole is burned into the shell of the egg. They are able to get a drop of liquid from inside, which can be tested for a specific hormone, like a chemical marker. And that can determine if it's a male or female chick. Now, I have an article here in the Guardian dated last month. And this is what I started to talk about in my opening remarks here. And this is titled, France Moves to Ban Mass Live Shredding of Male Chicks. So France announced that they will be one of the first countries to ban this mass culling of chicks starting next year. Agriculture Minister Didier Guillaume said, from the end of 2021, nothing will be like it was before. That's what he said. France and Germany announced last November they would work together to put an end to the chick massacre. Now, in this same article, The Guardian the same guy, the French agriculture minister, also announced France would require anesthesia to be given to piglets being castrated. Oh, you think that's really necessary? You think it hurts a living sentient being to have his testicles cut off without giving him numbing or pain medication? Would you have your dog neutered without anesthetizing him? Oh, it's okay. It's just a pig, though. Did you know that pigs are considered to be the fifth most intelligent animal in the world? Even smarter than your dog. You think pigs can't feel pain just as much as we can feel pain? Of course they can. Can you believe we do this to these animals? 
castration of male piglets is a common practice in many countries, including the United States. Why do we cut their testicles off? I don't know. Supposedly, it's to encourage the animals to grow bigger and fatter and also to prevent an odor that is said to emit from non-castrated pigs. Also, I read it's done to reduce the aggression of the pigs toward the workers. Yeah, because I can't imagine any male species getting aggressive towards someone who wants to cut off their testicles without any meds like numbing medication on board. Let me ask you something. Would you want your kids to know about what really happens to these little Wilbers in our pig farms? Remember Wilbur in Charlotte's Web? Story of a livestock pig, Wilbur, and his friendship with a spider named Charlotte. So do we tell our kids this is how we treat animals so we can consume them? No, of course not. That's horrible. I wouldn't want my kids to know that. That would make them sad. I would tell my kids. I would tell my kids the facts and let my kids decide for themselves if they want any part of this cruelty. Remember Babe, the movie? Another pig named Babe raised his livestock. And here's a little fun trivia for you, since we're talking about testicles. Did you know that in the film, it's never said if Babe is a boy pig or a girl pig? And you really can't tell by the voice of Babe. But all the pigs in the film were female, because the male genitalia would have been too visible on screen. Fun fact, right? Anyway, there you go. France has pledged to outlaw the practices of live shredding of male chicks by 2021. And France said it will also ban the practice of castrating piglets without anesthesia. That's really great. L214 is a French nonprofit animal defense organization that focuses its action on animals used for food consumption, said the measures were, quote, not ambitious, and, quote, do not address the basic problems. There's nothing on slaughter conditions nor on how to exit from intensive animal farming. According to this article, an opinion poll in January found that three quarters of French people did not believe the government was doing enough for animal protection. So my message to you, the best way to avoid supporting cruelty in the egg industry is to stop buying and eating eggs. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Thanks for tuning into the show. You're listening to Animals Today. If you're like most people, you have lots of plans. A financial plan, an exercise plan, a career plan. You also need a plan for the care of your pets when you no longer can provide it. Every day, animals are sent to shelters, terrified and confused because their owners have become incapacitated or died. Unfortunately, many of them get euthanized. Some people don't give the future a thought. Others assume family members will care for their pets. A better way is to name caregivers and provide detailed instructions about your pet's feeding, social, play, and health care needs. But even designated caregivers can't guarantee your pet will join a stable and loving home. Good intentions sometimes take a backseat to life's realities, like a new spouse who doesn't like animals, a sudden desire to travel the world, or the adoptive caregiver's own illness. 
A legally enforceable pet trust offers the only assurance that your assets will be used as you wish to provide for the comfort and care of your cherished animal companions. Almost every state recognizes pet trusts. Find out how to create one today and take steps to make sure your pet doesn't risk becoming yet another sad shelter statistic. Plan for your pet's lifelong well-being. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. Welcome back. On a recent show, I had a really interesting discussion with Valerie Parker, who is a veterinarian on the faculty at Ohio State University. One of her specialties is pet nutrition. And on that show, we spoke about a variety of nutrition topics in dogs. And it was really wide-ranging discussion, and hopefully she cleared up some misconceptions that listeners might have. If you want to listen to that, it was the show of November 16th, 2019. Well, cat people, now it's your turn. There are just as many nutrition issues and controversies in cats, and Dr. Parker has accepted my invitation to come back for another visit and educate us on cat nutrition. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Parker. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start with an area that affects a lot of cat guardians, and that is their cat or cats are overweight or obese, and it's somewhat of an epidemic. What are the main contributing factors leading to overweight and obese cats, and what are good ways to get them back to their normal weights? You're right. Um, Feline obesity is a major nutritional epidemic, and um, there are several factors that influence the development of obesity. The most prevalent cause of obesity in cats is that they're simply eating more calories than they need. And um, most people, unfortunately, don't really have any idea of how many calories are in the foods that they are feeding to their cats. So on average, if a cat should be about, let's say, 10 or 11 pounds, most cats should probably be eating, on average, about 200 calories a day. Some will need fewer, some will need more, but most Many cat foods that are available over the counter, dry foods specifically, can provide upwards of four or even 500 calories per cup. And so that means in a total day, a cat might only need less than a half of a cup of food per day total. A lot of people free feed their cats, so they just fill the bowl up whenever it's empty and let their cats eat whatever they want. That's one of the most common ways that a cat can gain too much weight is it just has free access to a high-calorie food. I think that it's really important to know that cats' energy needs change throughout their lives as well. So when a cat is very young, when it's growing, let's say, three to six months, that's probably when it has its highest energy need. After a cat gets spayed or neutered, its energy needs go down and feeding methods need to be addressed appropriately. It's really important to talk to your veterinarian about assessing a cat's body condition score, not just its weight, because cats do come in a variety of sizes, and not all cats should weigh the same amount. Some cats should be smaller, some cats should be larger, and we want to assess, again, what's called a body condition score to know if a cat is at its ideal weight. We typically use a nine-point body condition score, one to nine, where one out of nine is emaciated, nine out of nine is obese, and five out of nine is ideal. 
It has to do with how easily you can palpate a cat's ribs with gentle pressure, as well as how much of a waist the animal has looking down from the top. So starting at a very young age, it's important to pay attention to the kitten's body condition into its adulthood so that we can adjust a cat's intake over time to maintain it at a good optimal body condition score. So what's the role of exercise in helping maintain a healthy body weight? I think that exercise can definitely help and that has more benefits than even just weight management. Exercise and um, play can significantly um, benefit a cat's wellness, emotional well-being, and it can potentially even reduce some destructive behaviors if a cat is feeling bored in in its home environment. Um, I think, though, that truly the most important thing to maintain a a cat at a good, healthy body weight is to feed it a diet that is appropriate in calories. And so that might mean for a cat that isn't very active and has a slower metabolism, feeding it a lower calorie diet. So there are going to be some over-the-counter cat foods that have fewer than 300 calories per cup, and that's usually a good place to start because then the cat can eat more volume and feel fuller and not be begging for food. There are all different strategies, too, that people can utilize at home. I like using cat food dispensing toys um, to make the cat work for its food. It, it, I think, again, provides some mental stimulation as well as providing a way to slow a cat down from gulping down its food too fast. It's also nice to think about ways that you can encourage a cat to forage for its meals, even if it's an indoor cat. You can hide the food in the house. You can... Um, put it on different levels of, say, a cat tower or some other cat furniture. You can put it on different stairs to encourage the cat to move, to work for its food. It can be more challenging in a multi-pet household, especially with dogs, but there are usually ways that you can accommodate feeding multiple pets still within the same household. Should medical problems be excluded or worked up for an overweight cat? And what are the consequences of being overweight? That's a good question. There are many consequences to being overweight, Um, especially in cats. We worry about predisposing a cat to developing diabetes. We worry about osteoarthritis because cats can get osteoarthritis just as often as dogs and it's an often overlooked condition because cats tend to be so stoic they'll hide any discomfort. Um, Being overweight can also predispose to lower urinary tract signs in a cat. It can predispose to dermatologic signs because they might lose their ability to groom as well and it can overall impact a cat's survival. It can obesity has been shown to shorten survival in a, in a number of species. So it is really important for many reasons to try to maintain a cat at a good, healthy body weight um, throughout its life. Now, there aren't necessarily any very specific diseases that need to be tested for just by virtue of being overweight or obese. Um, Cats are not really as likely to become hypothyroid like dogs are. But a good practice should be that any cat should really have a good thorough physical exam annually, at least annually, with some minimum blood work and a urine test done annually. That's going to be the best chance of finding any disease early 
before it gets too late to address it. Okay, don't go away. When we come back, we're going to talk about getting your cat to trim down and creative ways to increase your cat's daily exercise. You're listening to Animals Today. Hi, this is Dr. Lori, and you're listening to Animals Today. I'm proud to say that Animals Today is now in its 12th year of continuous weekly broadcasts, bringing you animal welfare and animal rights news and stories from around the globe. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization, Advancing the Interests of Animals. Its mission is to improve the lives of animals and to encourage increased compassion and respect for all living beings. Visit them at aianimals.org. And if you like listening to this radio show and you like what we're doing, consider making a donation to Advancing the Interests of Animals to support the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Their website is aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And click Support Us. Today's Animals Today Minute features the world's largest land carnivore, the polar bear. Mainly receiving nourishment in the form of seals, these majestic Arctic dwellers may reach heights of 8 to 9 feet and weigh as much as 1,700 pounds. Their adaptations to surviving the extreme climate include very thick white fur, even on their feet, black skin to absorb the warmth of the sun, a thick layer of blubber beneath the skin, and large flat front feet, which aid in swimming. Newborns weigh only about a pound and stay with their mothers about two years. Polar bears are classified as an endangered species with only 20 to 25,000 left in the world. And that's this week's Animals Today Minute. Welcome back. We're speaking with veterinarian Valerie Parker about cat nutrition. Let's talk about this question of dry cat food versus wet. Can you say that one is better than the other? A lot of people will feel strongly about dry versus canned cat food, and I don't inherently think that one is definitely better than another, but there are a few considerations for the individual cat and for the pet owner. Um, most of the dry foods will be significantly higher in calorie density, and as I mentioned, that is one of the main issues leading to feline obesity. So some people might argue that feeding a dry food is more likely than to lead to obesity. And while that may be true in some cases, it's not always the case. It all will ultimately come down to how many total calories in a day a cat is eating. Additionally, some people feel that dry food can help maintain a cat's dental health better than a canned food. And I don't believe there's too much literature on that one way or the other, there are going to be some very specific dental diets formulated by veterinary therapeutic companies that will make a specific claim for dental health. But across the board, it's not to say that a cat's dental health will decline if fed a canned food. And conversely, proponents of canned food will tell you that it's better to get more moisture into a cat throughout its life cats are, you know, historically desert-like animals. They're designed to produce very concentrated urine, which can predispose to other diseases. It can make lower urinary tract disease more prevalent. And so one of the tools that we use to reduce lower urinary tract signs in cats is to get more moisture into them to keep their urine more dilute. 
that's a lot easier said than done. You can't really make a cat drink. You can't really do too much to a cat if it doesn't want to do it for itself. So some people will say that the more moisture you can get into a cat, the better for its overall health. And there's some truth to that when it comes to certain diseases, but not always across the board. So I, the bottom line for me is I really do think that it should be cat preference. It really just comes down to what's best for that individual cat and its owner. So Valerie, if I think my cat is overweight, what should I do? The first step to managing overweight or obesity is to get your veterinarian involved. And there are also nutritionists all over the country who can potentially help out if if needed. But really the first step is to just figure out, okay, how many calories a day is my cat currently eating? And see how that compares to what we call resting energy requirement. We, we like to calculate what's called resting energy requirement for a cat's estimated ideal body weight. And once we have the, those two numbers, we compare them. We see how close is my cat's current intake to its estimated need. If the cat, let's say, is getting uh, 400 calories a day and we estimate it should be getting 200 calories a day, then we want to reduce calorie intake. But when we do that, we really want to ensure that a cat is getting all the nutrients it needs. And so I'll typically recommend feeding a veterinary therapeutic weight loss diet. This is going to be a diet that's low in calories, but high in protein and high in other nutrients so that the cat can lose weight, but not become deficient in any nutrient. And these can be dry foods or canned foods. It somewhat depends on owner and cat preference. But for an example, we'll probably use a dry food that has about 230 to maybe 250 calories per cup. Or we can use canned foods. And um, some of my favorite weight loss canned cat foods for a big can, you know, a 5.8 ounce can only have 90 calories per can, which is really awesome. It still allows the cat to eat a pretty good volume of food, high protein, high fiber, and it can help the cat feel satiated even though we're providing fewer calories. The other thing that I really like to recommend for people to do is to weigh the food, the dry food especially, in grams per day because everyone who's ever measured cat food knows that you can make a heaping scoop or a level scoop or just under the line scoop, but you know, 30 grams is 30 grams. You can't finagle what 30 grams of food is. Okay? Right. So it's really most precise to recommend a certain number of grams of food per day. And that also allows us the easiest ability to make slight adjustments when we need to adjust a cat's intake. So another way that we can try to promote weight loss in cats is to get them moving. And most cats aren't going to go out for multiple miles, walks, and runs with their owners, and that's okay. Any little bit can help. Any little bit can make an impact. And so depending on the cat's motivation, you can play with toys. You can do feather toys or laser pointers. You can make them, like I said before, work for their food. You can make them climb. You can make them jump on different layers or levels of a cat tower. 
if you have stairs in your home, you can put the kibble on different stairs and make them walk up and down for it. And for the really food-motivated cat, um, if if it's something that works for the home environment, is I'll even tell people sometimes just sit while you're hanging out with your family, sit on the couch watching TV and just take the cat's food and just throw one kibble at a time and make the cat chase it and go get it and then come back. But any little bit can help. And for some motivated owners, you can even potentially find a physical therapy rehabilitation center near you that will do additional work. So people think of this more for dogs than cats, but you technically can do underwater treadmill training with cats. You can do other physical therapy for a cat that has osteoarthritis that may be a little bit more reluctant to move around. Um, And inevitably what I hear and what I see is that every little bit of weight that cat loses, it becomes more comfortable and more um, willing to do the exercise and, and move around. Inevitably, owners tell me how much more comfortable their pets are, their cats, when they start to lose that weight. In addition, I find these interactive activities and toys not only offer great mental stimulation for my cats, but also helps to strengthen the bond I have with my feline companions. Yeah, definitely. It's a nice bond to have with your cat to spend that time with it because cats are thought of as more solitary creatures. And it's true that some would prefer to be on their own, but many cats do really enjoy that human interaction. And it it can be a good bonding experience to play with the cat and make mealtime more fun. Valerie, so here's a question that always comes up in vegan households. Is it possible for a cat to live on a pure vegan or vegetarian diet? I would strongly discourage people from trying to have vegan or vegetarian cats. In order to feed a cat a vegetarian diet, you have to have intimate knowledge of cat nutrition to do it well. There needs to be added purified amino acids, added vitamins and minerals that wouldn't normally be in vegetarian diets. And anyone who would be trying to do it at home will fail. It is not a safe thing for a cat, for the most part, to be fed a vegetarian, certainly not a vegan diet. Quite honestly, I I would almost never recommend that. Yeah. Cats are carnivores, aren't they? Yes, cats are carnivores. That's not to say they can't eat plant materials. In fact, they can, and they can do well with carbohydrates in their diet, and they can eat fruits and vegetables very happily, but they should, for the most part, have meat in their diet. Right. So as we're recording this, we're not near the holiday season. However, every year, the same questions always arise. And they are, what toxins, plants, or foods do cats need to stay away from during the holiday season and year-round? Yes. So in terms of foods that are toxic for cats, it's not usually as many cats as dogs who tend to counter-surf, although I actually do have some kittens who will steal bread and pizza from our counter. Oh, that's funny. Um, (laughs) <laughs> For foods, I I would typically recommend avoiding um, onions, garlic. So it is important if you would ever be giving your cat any um, prepared human food to ensure that it doesn't have onions or garlic in it. Yeah. 
but it's more the plants, I think, that cats tend to like to get into. And so it's really, really important to avoid having lilies in the home where cats are. Lilies, even in the tiniest little amount, can be highly toxic for cats. And then other holiday-specific plants that tend to come up that can be toxic, whether causing just even mild gastrointestinal upset or severe toxicities would be things like poinsettias, pine trees, mistletoe and holly, as well as amaryllis flowers. Valerie, this has been so interesting, and I hope this is helping those listeners who care for cats. And I have one last question. You know, you can purchase little containers of grass or you can grow grass from seeds on your counter in your home. And this is designed for cats to chew on and eat. What do you think about this? And is this a good and healthy thing for cats? I think that if you're using um, cat grass or a little plant from a reputable company, then it can absolutely be fine. You have to just pay attention to how the cat does with it and make sure that it's not eating so much that it's making itself sick. But in small amounts, if the cat likes to nibble on cat grass, that's totally fine. Um, Just make sure that it's not put in an area where the cat could confuse other plants for being for the cat. Oh, good point. Because there are so many toxic plants, you want to have it be very clear to a cat what it can eat and what it can't eat. Because you don't want to send mixed messages and tell them that if something in a plant in a pot is for them and then have something toxic that they think is also for them that they shouldn't be eating. Veterinarian Valerie Parker, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. That is the sound of a dog whose vocal cords were cut just to stifle her voice. It's called devocalization, and it's done to cats as well. Devocalized animals rasp and wheeze, cough and gag for the rest of their lives. Some are rendered mute. And for what? So a commercial or hobby breeder can keep many animals without having to listen to them? So show dogs will be quiet during transit between shows or in the ring? So an irresponsible pet owner can leave a dog alone for hours every day? Animals Today says shame on anyone who would have a dog or cat devocalized and shame on the veterinarians who perform this unnecessary, inhumane surgery on them. Please speak out against devocalization of dogs and cats. Use your voice to protect theirs. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. Peter, you've heard people calculating the age of their dog in human years, right? One dog year equals seven human years? I never really understood that. And why do people want to know what the age of their dog is in human years? Anyway, a new study is suggesting that this formula, which was based on the average lifespans of 10 years and 70 years for dogs and people, is wrong. It's inaccurate. And by the time a dog turns two years old, they're middle-aged. The name of the study is Quantitative Translation of Dog-to-Human Aging by Conserved Remodeling of Epigenetic Networks. 
These researchers say they have a new formula to convert dog years to human years. According to this research, a three-year-old dog is similar to around 50, 50 years old in humans. So scientists can track the biological age of a species by changes in their DNA. And that's what these guys did. The researchers used what's called methylation, which is the addition of methyl groups to specific DNA sequences. So as certain species age, their DNA undergoes methylation, and that can be used to track biological age. It's like an epigenetic clock. So they used the rate of the methylation changes in dogs and compared it to the human epigenetic clock. So by the age of two in a dog, instead of being equivalent to a 14-year-old human, right, if you go by the traditional formula, multiplying the age by seven, instead, the DNA of the two-year-old dog, they say, is about equivalent to a human entering their early 40s. And they say in dogs, the aging slows over time. So by the age of 10 in a dog, that's similar to a person of age 68. So it's a nonlinear relationship. So the researchers developed a new formula to work out the human age of a dog. And if you want to believe it, a two-year-old dog may still act like a puppy, but it's middle-aged. And there's a notation that this research is not yet peer-reviewed. And if you want to look it up and know the exact formula, which really didn't make much sense to me, but what do I know? The name of the study is Quantitative Translation of Dog-to-Human Aging by Conserved Remodeling of Epigenetic Networks. Okay, so now let's move on to a study in cats. Let me ask you something, Peter. Do you think cats know or can recognize their own names? When you call our cats by name, do they come running to you like our dogs would? And you want to answer? I would say <laughs> no. I would say that maybe they do. They don't care to share that with okay, us. Okay, good answer. Well, a new study indicates that our pet cats do recognize their names, even if they walk away and pretend to ignore you when you call them. So the same behavioral scientist in Tokyo who previously showed that cats can recognize their owner's voice, she now studied cats' responses to names. This was published in Scientific Reports, and by looking at the cats moving their ears, heads or tails, or their meowing, the cats had a more pronounced response to their names than to similar words or other cat names. So your cat's name is Ringo, like one of our cats. You say, come here, Bingo, or come here, Lingo. He would ignore you even more than if you say, come here, Ringo. Mm. Her study also showed that cats would also respond when other people called their names, although the response was less prominent. This new study clearly shows that many cats react to their own names when spoken by their owners, says biologist John Bradshaw, but Bradshaw says he is less convinced cats can recognize their names when spoken by someone unfamiliar. Quote, I think that it's entirely possible that some cats are able to generalize between one human voice and another, but I'd like to see more trials before I'd say that the evidence is compelling. He goes on to say, cats are just as good as dogs at learning. They're just not as keen to show their owners what they've learned. Right. Yep. That's true. They want you to think they don't understand what you're saying. I think cats are a lot smarter than we think they are. Peter Rover. Rover, I know them. Came out with their most popular dog names of 2019. They have a list of the top 100 male and female dog names. We're not going to go through all 100 of them, but how about the top 10, 20? I'll do 20. From 20 to 1 or 1 to 20? You're just going to throw, mix them up. Oh, good question. 
20, countdown to one. Okay. Number 20. Blue, 19. Winston, Zeus, Jax, Toby, Leo, Bo, Tucker, Bentley, Oliver, Teddy, now we're within the top 10, Duke, Bear, Jack, Milo, Rocky, Buddy. What number is Buddy? Four. Okay. Cooper. Cooper. Three. Charlie. And what do you think the top male dog's name is in 2019? 2019. Well. It's been the top male dog name for the last 20 years. Max. Max. Very good. What the heck is going on here? People like the name Max. Max. Okay. Female dogs. Top 20. Yep. Start with 20. Ruby. Rosie. Nala. Spelled Nala. N-A-L-A. Okay. Oh, is that like a cartoon sort of name? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Coco, Penny, Chloe, Sophie, Roxy, Maggie, Stella, now the top 10, Bailey, Sadie, Molly, Lola, Zoe, Lily, Daisy, Lucy, number three, Luna, number two. Mm. Number one female dog name of 2019, which has been the number one female dog name for the last 20 is years. Bella? Bella. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like 2018, 2017, I know, 2016. I think they're just running the same poll every year. <laughs> okay, Lori, that's dogs. You got a little bit of something for cats. Yep. Five female cat names. Most popular. Female cat names. Bella is one of them. Okay. Lily, Lucy, Kitty. And Luna. Which is the number one? Luna. Luna. That was a popular dog, dog name, too. name yeah. Yeah, yeah. Top five male cat names. Leo, Milo, Charlie, Max, of course, Max, and Oliver. Okay, this continues from Rover. Apparently, people also like to name their dogs and cats after food and drinks. Top food and drink dog names. Pepper, ginger. Wait, that's a spice. <laughs> Ginger. Okay. Another spice. Kona. Kona. Oreo. Peanut. Sammy. I don't know what that refers to. Cookie. Mocha. Sugar. Biscuit. Biscuit. Top food and beverage names for cats. Coco. No, Coco's not on the list. Mocha uh, is. Mocha. Mocha. Sugar. Snickers. Cookie. Peanut. Ginger. Sammy again. Pumpkin. Pepper Oreo. <laughs> okay, a lot of overlap there. <laughs> okay. And this is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. We end our cats love two great products from Vesper. The Vesper Cubo is a modern lounging cube for cats. It's perfect for relaxing, sleeping, and hiding. Its memory foam cushions mold exactly to the shape of your cat, providing your beloved feline with extra comfort. And detachable parts are easy to clean and replace. The Vesper High Base is a great observation deck for cats that love to sit up high. The tall and slim scratching poles encourage extensive scratching in an elongated posture, while the cubed den provides a cozy space for naps. And that den is perfect for lounging and hanging out. Both the cushions and the scratching mats are hand washable, and replacement parts are available in case any part of the scratcher gets worn out. 
That's the Vesper Cubo and the Vesper High Bass. <laughs> 